The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Always striving to be your public radio source for the information, advice, techniques, and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati would like to invite you to attend a two-day workshop on August the 15th and 16th with Mr. Dykes Botiford, the creative finance expert and genius. And uh, you can find out all about what Dykes will be teaching by going to CincinnatiRia.com. You can also hear Dykes. He was the guest here on Real Life Real Estate two weeks ago. You can go to our podcast on iTunes or check it out on our website at RealLifeRealEstate.com. RealLifeRealEstate.com. We are going to uh, embark on an off-schedule question and answer week this week. And uh, normally we do that on the last Wednesday of the month, but for a few of the last Wednesdays of the month over the last couple of months, I've been traveling out of town, going out to see real estate associations in Baltimore and Chicago and gosh all over the place I can't even remember all the places that I've been on Wednesdays for the past uh, the past uh, gosh uh, four or five months it's been kind of a whirlwind and as a result tons of questions have come in that have been kind of ignored like you know they, they you can you can ask questions anytime at real life real estate dot com and that people send them sort of twenty four seven and then question and answer week comes and goes and they don't get answered so 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 many uh questions built up here that uh might be time to start answering them and if you have additional questions you can Call us toll-free here at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. Or once again, you can go to realliferealestate.com and there's a question and answer box there at the top of the page that um, type in your question. Be sure to tell us where you came from and then hit the send button and we'll get it here by email. A question here from... Rochelle in Columbus, Ohio. 
She says, I'm talking to a seller who has two side-by-side duplexes he is looking to sell. He and I live in the same neighborhood, and he'd like to simplify his life after 32 years of living and owning these two properties by moving to a single-family home. I have a single-family home that's way too big for me. We are flirting with a number of ways for me to buy his property, and we stumbled on the idea of swapping the properties. We each have a mortgage. His is variable rate, mine is fixed rate, with a balance of about 60. His house is valued at about 135. He wants 80,000 per side for a total of 160. I think he's overpriced. How do you, what ideas do you have where we could potentially structure a mutually beneficial deal? 1031 exchange? I would prefer not to have to get a new loan if I don't have to. And I'm not open to letting him take my house subject to because my credit is good and my loan terms are better. Uh, Rochelle, the the key to understanding why one does a 1031 exchange is understanding that um, when an investor has a property and they own it for a number of years and they the value goes up, but maybe they improve it and the basis goes down because of depreciation, right? Because every year you write off a portion of the value of your property against the income on it. Uh, They end up needing to pay a tax bill when they sell it at a profit. And the purpose of the 1031 exchange is for an investor to be able to not immediately swap, but through a through a process of having the money held in escrow, swap one property for another. In your case, it sounds like both of you are homeowners. And homeowners can sell their houses for a profit of like $250,000 and not pay taxes on that, assuming they've been in the house for two of the last five years, which it sounds like both of you have. So there's no need for the cost or the complication of a 1031 exchange in your particular case here. When people swap properties in a more general sense, which uh, is, is kind of what you're, you're talking about here, they are usually really like swapping equities, not not swapping properties. So so they sort of balance it out and they say, look, this, you know, my property is worth 135, but it has a $100,000 mortgage on it. Your house is only worth 90 and it has a $65,000 mortgage on it. So my property is worth 10,000 more than yours in the equities. And so give me your property and $10,000, that sort of thing. But because you are not open to letting him take over your loan, uh, the question is, that I sort of have about your whole situation here is, are you trying to come up with a creative deal for the for the brain exercise of it? Because it sort of sounds like it might be easier for him to just sell his house and you to just sell his house, your house, and for you to buy his and him to buy yours if you have each other's ideal properties. And, you know, once you've once you've sold your house, it's, you know, kind of... I mean, you could sell yours to him and he could sell his to you. You could get new loans. If that is the case, if this is an intellectual exercise, I'm going to stop you because those are dangerous. <laughs> those intellectual exercises where you end up doing a deal because it's so cool are dangerous deals. Ask me how I know that. Now, of course, there could be some deal here 
where instead of letting him have the deed to your house and your mortgage, you could do something like a wraparound mortgage. You could give him a land contract on the property. If he doesn't love the idea of owning because he's trying to simplify his house, you could even rent him your house in exchange for something in regards to his house. I mean, you're telling me he's overpriced. That's a problem. We got to get we got to get down to a price that makes sense. But, you know, maybe he moves into your house rent free and you get to take over his mortgage. And and of course, that would be for a fixed period of time. You wouldn't want him to live there rent free for the next 40 years or anything like that. So if if it's not if it's not just a let's see what a cool deal we can put together thing here, what you need to look at, look at is stop looking at the properties and start looking at who's getting what in terms of the other benefits, payments, equity, interest rate. I mean, it sounds like you got a better deal to offer him than he has to offer you. And that is my first concern. And then my next concern is just that you not not do anything for the sake of a cool creative deal. So there, you know, there's, there's probably some things where you could you could trade unequal things. So as I said, you know, maybe uh, he gets to live in your property at a reduced payment over what you could rent it for and you get to take over his mortgage and his payments at the current balance. But please do check out what the rate on that mortgage is and if there's if it is in fact adjustable because that could obviously change very quickly. What you're getting could change very quickly if interest rates go up. So uh, thank you for your very complex question, Rochelle, and uh, we uh, appreciate you listening to Real Life Real Estate. If you have a question, give us a call at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or go to realliferealestate.com and ask your question through our website. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate by uh, checking out our website at realliferealestate.com. We spent a lot of time and money making pretty sliders and pictures, and the shows for the last five weeks are always up there for you to listen to if you missed one. And in fact, we have... All of the episodes of Real Life Real Estate going back to time immemorial up here. Like there's somewhere in excess of 150 episodes on realliferealestate.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. There's almost always a special offer of some sort for listeners. And of course, you have the opportunity on the website to try out the Inner Circle program for just $1.00. The Inner Circle program gets you a weekly webinar that uh, uh, allows allows for more sort of like end-to-end education than we can really do here on the radio. And it covers everything from uh, how to find values of properties to how to market to how to, you know, how wholesaling works, how landlording works, all of that sort of stuff. It's a program that's thirty nine ninety seven a month, but you can check it out for just $1 for the first 30 days. And here's the best part, your dollar, and then if you decide to stick with it is, uh, I'm sorry, I was just handed a note reminding me that it's it's $5 to start because we were having problems with um, your, your bank 
your bank does not like $1 charges on your credit card. So it's $5 to $5 to start. If you decide to stick with it at 39.97 a month, your entire uh, membership to the Inner Circle goes to support public radio here on WMKV and on the Maple Knoll Radio Network. So you get real estate education, you get the chance to ask questions about your deals in times other than question and answer week, and uh, you get um, a business plan template. It's all very cool. It's on realliferealestate.com. Just look at the left-hand side of the page and you can join the inner circle through WMKV at realliferealestate.com. Uh, taking some questions today from folks who uh, have been saving up their questions and then disappointed because some of our question and answer weeks have been pre-recorded programs over the last few months. So if you have a question, uh, call it in at 877-772-9658 or send an email. You can go to realliferealestate.com to do that. A question from Eric in Lake Mary, Florida. He says, I'm working on a subject to offer. The house has very low repairs and is about 10% upside down from the current value. There are tenants living in the house and they're paying 75% of the mortgage payment. The mortgage is eight and a half years old. Would you do this deal as a no money offer or would you offer them anything to get the deal or would you do the deal at all? Eric, this falls into the category of a seller who has a problem that you are suggesting making your problem. He owes more than his house is worth. He's only able to get rent of 75% of the mortgage payment. And he's not that far into the mortgage. So you tell me what the advantage to you is of taking his problem as your problem. There's no, I mean, if it if it was upside down, but the rent was 150% of the total principal interest taxes and insurance payment, I'd say, yeah, maybe you want to go for that. If the rent just covered the principal interest taxes and insurance payment, but it had 20% equity, I might say, go for it. If the situation was what you say, where the, the mortgage payment is is upside down, but there was only eight and a half years left on the loan instead of its, instead of, you know, 21 and a half years left on the loan, uh, I might say go for it, but there is nothing in this deal as you describe it that makes me think that you should do it. The question is, um, what else can the seller offer you? Because if he really wants to get rid of this property, he needs to make it a win-win, right? Win-win means you win as well. And as it stands right now, you don't win in this deal. Typically, with a situation like this, the only thing that the seller can offer you that would make you tempted to make his problem your problem would be a significant pay down on his own mortgage, so you haven't given me the actual numbers. I don't know what the house is worth or what he owes, but if he could if he could bring enough cash to the closing to make it um an eighty percent loan instead of a hundred and two percent loan, that's still going to mean that you're upside down on the payments. However, it will cut years and years off the mortgage. And 
depending on how big the dollar deficit is, you may decide to do it in that case. But you see, every no money down deal is not a good deal. Every no qualifying deal is not a good deal. And I see these all the time, uh, exactly what it is you are describing. Seller really wants to sell, but everything about his situation makes it unattractive to you. And unfortunately on those, you pretty much have to give the seller his real options, which are do a short sale, pay down a bunch on your mortgage, and then also in his case, probably get a refi at a lower rate so that the thing doesn't eat you alive. And you're gonna feed this thing every year for the next 21 and a half years. And and, or uh, keep the house until the value goes up in the amount on the mortgage goes down. I mean, those are those are really this uh, this seller's options. So uh, please, Eric, do not do this deal. And if you want to do it, there are thousands and thousands of more just like it. <laughs> no reason to do this particular one. There's all kinds of people who will let you take over their upside down payments on their upside down mortgage. A question here from, who is this from? Wilson in New York City. And yes, I remember this because there were a bunch of questions here. And uh, I think I answered a few of them on a prior question and answer, but literally he's got them numbered one through eight. And then there are subsets of some of the mortgages or some of the mortgages. I'm sorry, I've just looked at that word in his email uh, of the question here. So I'm going to answer a couple of more of Wilson's questions. And this is a really good and important one right here. He says, how do you accurately analyze a wholesale deal for maximum profits? And I sincerely wish more wholesalers uh, would think to answer, to ask that question. Because the biggest problem that I see out in the wholesale world amongst the folks who are calling themselves wholesalers but are putting deals out that don't make any sense is the is the the problem of they don't know how to analyze the deal they decide that the zestimate or the tax value is the actual after repaired value of the property and then they decide that whatever the t- seller tells them it's going to cost to repair the property is right. And then they do their math, they do their formula of after repaired value times 0.7 minus repair costs or whatever. And they come up with a number that in no way makes it a good deal for their buyer, the investor. And then they go and try and present it to their RIA groups or they go and put it on Craigslist and they should maybe show it to some buyers who decide very quickly that they're completely wasting their time. They ruin their own reputations and they ruin the reputations of wholesalers everywhere. What I hear from serious investor after serious investor and group after group after group is I don't buy from wholesalers because they don't know what they're doing. Or I don't buy from wholesalers because they are trying to charge so much money for these properties that are for these deals because you don't sell properties, of course, that I can't make any money. Or the, 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 the folks who really don't understand that this is usually a lack of information, a lack of knowledge, a lack of skill, will say, I don't buy properties from wholesalers because they try to steal from you. Meaning they try to charge so much for a property that the buyer can't make money. 
it's not that hard to learn how to find the after repaired values of properties. It's not that hard to walk through a property and figure out what it needs and what people are paying for those repairs in your market. And yet it is so crucially important. And anyone out there who's putting deals under contract and not able to sell the contracts, I can almost guarantee you that in the market today, that is your problem. There are so many buyers looking for good deals and there are so many, they're having so many much problem finding them that your deal ought to sell in three to 10 days. And if it hasn't, you really have to question, do I have it under contract for the right price? And if I do not, what is the right price? And how do I go back and get that right price or release the contract? Because, wow, that that's a huge, huge problem all over the country. Um, I will answer another one of Wilson's eight questions, and then we'll come back to this if there are if there are no others uh, coming in at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or realliferealestate dot com. Uh, question is how and where do you find wholesale deals in your area, and how do you find them in other states and counties? Is there real estate software that can find wholesale deals in any state or county? Uh, to make sure you understand, Wilson, um, I don't find wholesale deals in other, well, I do in the immediate surrounding states to me, like, you know, Northern Kentucky, Southeast Indiana. I'm not going to try and find a wholesale deal in Seattle because I don't have people on the ground in Seattle that can go see the properties for me. I don't understand the neighborhoods in to the depth that I would want to understand them if I were trying to wholesale a property in Seattle. Um, I look for properties where I or someone that I hire and or trust can actually go in and physically examine them and where I might uh, know the neighborhoods a little bit better than I would someplace else. Uh, the typical way that you find wholesale deals or really any good deal in real estate right now is by looking for sellers who are in distressed situations where they need to sell cheaply more than they need to, they need to sell cheaply and quickly more than they need to sit around and wait for full price. So those are going to be your probates, your, um, your pre-foreclosures, if you're willing to deal with short sales, which if you're a brand new investor, I, I would say probably you want to put those on the back burner for right now until you get some training on that. Uh, your vacant, ugly properties, your um, uh, landlords who filed eviction. So, I mean, think through what would make someone need to sell a house quickly wor uh, more so than than want to get full price. So distressed properties with sellers in some sort of a situation. So uh, do not... Uh, despair of being able to find good deals. It's just you're going to find them directly from the sellers. And if there were software that could find you great deals any place in the United States, it would be worth a million dollars a pop. Like I, like I would pay a million dollars for that software if it would just like I could plug it into my computer and boom, here's all the great deals there are. There are, there is software that 
can can look for and scrape the public record for certain types of properties, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a great deal. Not every seller who's inherited a property has an ugly property. Not every seller who's inherited a property isn't using it. Sometimes they live in it, right? Or they're using it as a rental. Not every seller who's inherited a property uh, has a distressed property. Not every seller who has inherited the property wants to sell it inexpensively. So it's more a matter of find the situation, contact the folks, find out where they are, find out like what's going on in their heads and in their lives. And if there's a deal to be made, made make it. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. If you have a question that you'd like to ask about anything uh, having to do with real estate investing, you can either go to realliferealestate.com and send it through our question and answer form. Or alternatively, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. If you happen to be listening to us through our podcast, uh, remember that Real Life Real Estate is a live radio show, like real radio, like you turn on the radio in your car and out comes Real Life Real Estate Investing. Here in the greater Cincinnati area at the Maple Knoll Radio Network, we also... Uh, do obviously if you're listening to it on podcast uh, rebroadcast them on iTunes but you get your chance to listen live and ask your questions live on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time Eastern Standard Time and uh, if you're always wondering like how does how do people even ask her questions I don't know why she's giving out a phone number well that's because folks do listen live and Today, it's question and answer week, Uh, 877-772-9658 is the uh, number to call in with any questions you have about finding deals, financing and managing them, anything that you want to know about real estate investing. Uh, You can also send an email by going to our website at realliferealestate.com and... uh, Always welcome your questions 24-7, 365, but usually they're going to get answered during question and answer week. Um, questions here, question here from Ron, who says, ah, he says, I heard you mention that small property owners make up approximately 75% of the home rental market. I've been looking for a statistic like that for a long time now. Can you share with me where it came from? There, This is a common misconception that large national management companies overwhelmingly control the rental home market. Um, you know what, Ron? I'm going to have to get you a, a quote on that statistic. I know where I heard it. I just don't know uh, where they heard it. I heard it. I heard it from the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. And uh, I, I I know exactly who I heard it from, and he's pretty well connected in the real estate world. But um, I will I will look that up. But I think I think it's probably pretty close to accurate because if you look at um, something as simple as the rent- rental registration records for any given county and see how many of them how many of the properties are are registered to are large properties that are registered to 
you know, out of state owners, that sort of thing, versus how many of them are single family homes, two families, four families, you know, 15 families, the, the types of properties that are more likely to be owned by just an individual investor who was looking to make an investment for his retirement fund or looking to build a business for himself. Uh, I think you're going to find that that's probably a pretty accurate number. And, uh, you know, as, as we like to say at the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association, we house America. And it's unfortunate that the perception is that the uh, big, the big uh, companies really own and control a lot of the rental real estate. Um, that is that is particularly not true in our city cores. You know, in the in the cities in the first suburbs, a lot of the rental properties are owned and managed and invested in by small investors who are doing it without grant money and tax breaks and all things that some of the big companies do. So I will I will look for a citation on that for you, Ron. A comment here from Anera here in Cincinnati. She says, you might want to mention to folks that if they sign up with Amazon Smile, which is smile.amazon.com, and then name the Maple Knoll Communities WMKV as their charity, then a half a percent of their purchase goes to help support WMKV FM. And that is very true. In fact, you can you can you can even bypass the whole having to sign up with Amazon Smile thing and just go anytime you're making an order on Amazon. Go first to WMKVFM.org and there's an Amazon button up in the upper corner there somewhere and you can uh, order whatever you're going to order through there and yes it does go to support public radio which as I'm sure you've heard in every fun drive for every public radio station you have listened to in the last five years is more important than ever because the uh, stations pretty much survive anymore on membership dues and uh, sponsorships rather than what everyone thinks they survive on which is like government money and every little bit helps and particularly these kinds of non-membership revenues like ordering stuff through Amazon. Many times we have uh, guests here that have um, that have books, right? And we'll, we'll say, you know, he's the author of such and so and you run over and go to order the book, go to WMKV first and WMKV will get a teeny, 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 tiny bit of that money. A uh, question from Darren in Detroit. Boy, he's just going right for it. He says, if you were to start all over again with no money in this market, what would you do? <laughs> and I, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself the benefit in this scenario here of saying, of thinking that you mean if I had no money, but I know what I know. Because no money and no knowledge and no skills are different than no money, but I've, you know, already been doing this for 20 years, so I sort of understand how to do it. And given those parameters, the one you gave me and the one I gave myself, um, I would say that uh, the first thing I would do is I would go out and secure myself a primary residence by doing something like a lease option or a subject to deal or a wraparound mortgage. So I do I do some kind of creative deal where I knew I was going to have a place to live at a payment that I could afford. And then I would go wholesale some properties. 
so that I could have some money, you know, in the bank and, you know, you're supposed to have no consumer debt, six months worth of reserves, right? And wholesaling would be the fastest and easiest way to do that. And once I had that taken care of, I would do a mixture of wholesaling and creative deals directly with sellers. And the creative deals with the sellers would be for the purpose of building passive income, getting some rental properties, um, you know, having stuff that I could control more long term and uh, get some tax benefits and so on. And the wholesaling would be for the purpose of continuing to gather up cash and to live on. Um, if I could rewind my business 20 years and start all over again, uh, the number one thing that I would do differently would be that I would I would make sure that as I was buying rentals, I also had a cash strategy like wholesaling or retailing so that I could keep all of the cash flow from my rentals in reserves for those rentals. Because when I first started way, way, way back when, not even going to say when, Reagan wasn't still president, but he hadn't won that office that long. Um, I, I, I bought rentals because that was what I knew how to do. And I, and I bought properties that I would then lease option to people as well. And because I didn't have a strategy that created chunks of cash, I lived off the income from the rentals. And what that meant was that when a roof went bad, which, you know, stuff invariably goes, goes wrong with houses, I would have to put it on a credit card. I would have to do a lot of the work myself. And that did not lead to me having completely fixed up rentals all the time, which I, you know, I think it's important. I think if you're going to own rental properties, you have to keep them in really good shape. And it wasn't until I discovered wholesaling about five years in that I had any way of uh, keeping the properties in the condition that gets you the best rent and the best tenants and the longest term tenants and, and so on. And I know a lot of people, my own father, uh, when he started doing rentals back in the early 60s, um, he had a job. So he was able to use the job, use the income from the job to help with the repairs on the rentals and also use the money from the rentals to help with the repairs on the rentals. And so he was able to do some things that I wasn't able to do because I did not have a job for a good chunk of that early part of my real estate career. And it, it, it affected things going forward uh, really to this day. Because if I had set that money aside, a lot of my rentals that are not paid off would be paid off now. A lot of the rentals that I had to refinance to get money out of to do repairs, I would not have had to refinance. I would be close to the end of the 30-year loans, and uh, I would be much closer to actual, you know, complete passive financial freedom than I am right now. So that would be the number one thing I would change. And the number two thing I would change is I would have hired people to do the stuff that is um, easy and rote and doesn't require a lot of skills a lot earlier than I did because I I tried to do it myself and tried to do it myself and tried to do it myself way beyond the point where I should not have been trying to do it myself anymore because I ended up working 80 hours a week and lost a big chunk of the 90s that way. <laughs> I, that was like a like a six-year period where I didn't take I didn't take a vacation where I didn't have 
a cell phone with me and a computer with me because there was stuff I had to do, even on vacation. So uh, appreciate your question, Darren, and uh, appreciate y'all putting up with me while I uh, waxed um, non-nostalgic about my early years in real estate. Uh, if you have any other questions, you can send them to us by going to realliferealestate.com. You can also call them in at 877-772-9658. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. You can call in your questions, which is probably the best way to make sure they get answered at this point in the show. At 877-772-9658. Alternatively, you can go to realliferealestate.com, click the Send Avena a Question tab at the top, and actually what it says, I just looked at it, actually says Ask a Question. Fill in your name, your email, and your message, hit the Send button, and I will get it here hopefully before the end of the show. Question here from Val, who lives in Minneapolis. She says, my question is about wholesaling. What I don't understand is if I put a property under contract with a seller, what is to stop a buyer from contacting the seller directly and getting the deal away from me? I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to have buyers who just let my contract expire and try to go behind my back. What keeps this from happening? Well, there's there's two things that keep it from happening, Val. The first one is the fact that you have it under contract because really the seller cannot sell it to someone else while he's under contract with you that is sort of fraudulent to agree to sell the same property to two different people. But the other piece of it is you just having such a great deal that it's not going to last long enough for a buyer to go behind your back. I mean, you know, long and short of it is you have it under contract. You have offered it at a particular price. If the buy, if the this buyer wants it, he either needs to buy your contract or he needs to lose the deal because it's such a good deal that someone else is going to take it. And that is so key. It's so key to understanding uh, how wholesaling works. To understand that you have to be bringing value to these deals. You can't just you can't throw up a, a property at full price and then say what's to keep somebody from going behind my back? No one's going to buy that deal from you. It's not going behind your back to to you know for him to contact the seller after your deal after your contract expires because you couldn't sell it. That's why it expired, right? It wasn't a good deal. You couldn't sell it, and to make his own deal with the seller. So thank you for your email, Val. Um, question here from JC in Las Vegas. He says, if I can't manage my own rental properties, how should I go about finding and selecting a good property manager? And what should I pay? Wow, you know, that is a question, JC, that causes a lot of consternation and debate in the real estate industry, particularly if what you are trying to get managed is single family homes. Um, it is unfortunately the case that many property managers who manage those kinds of properties uh, take a lot of abuse for various things that may or may not be true about how they are managing the properties. Um, I, 
you don't have to you don't have to go very far to find a landlord who will uh, complain at you about their property manager, and they will say things like, "I can't get accurate records." Uh, you know, he he tells me that. Uh, he's only sending me $100 from my rent this month because there were these repairs to be made, but I can never actually get a record of the repairs or photos of the repairs or, uh, you know, invoices that, that, that showed he paid for repairs. Um, I think my property manager uh, steals tenants out of my cheaper properties to put them in more expensive properties because he gets paid more on those. My property manager is completely unresponsive. I can't get a phone call back from him. Uh, my property manager has flat out stolen from me. He can't, you know, it's been four months since I saw any rent and I can't get a hold of him and, you know, who knows what's going on. Um, some of that is probably deserved and some of it is probably not deserved. And when I say deserved, I mean, some of them are probably doing it. You hear the, you hear the story too often <laughs> to, to think that there's absolutely nothing behind it. Sometimes it's what the landlord thinks is happening is not actually happening, but because of the property manager's poor communications, he goes on thinking it's happening. And sometimes it's just that the the landlord does not understand what uh, what managing a rental property is about. And, you know, they get upset because a property stays vacant for two and a half months after they won't replace the carpet, after the owner says, oh, I'm not paying to replace that carpet, just clean it. And it's filthy, nasty, smelly, moldy carpet. And of course, the property manager can't rent the unit and the and the owner's blaming them. So it's a real, you know, I'd say go to the Better Business Bureau and check out uh, the BBB reports on any property manager you're considering. I would say... Um, I think people sometimes have better experiences with property managers that are managing fewer properties rather than more, although that is not the case across the board. It's not the case that if you have a realtor who's only managing properties for three people that you're always going to get better better service than if you've got one that's managing thousands of properties. But, you know, that's something to consider. In terms of what you should pay, a going rate in our part of the country is around 10% of gross rents. And there's going to be some other stuff, too. You're going to pay an override on, you're either going to pay an override or an hourly fee on repairs and maintenance. And you probably will also pay a rent-up fee when the property goes vacant and needs to be rented. Uh, I've heard uh, some folks say that in their part of the country, it's more like 7%. I think those are in more expensive parts of the country. So it shouldn't be that difficult to figure out what, what others are paying just by asking other landlords in your association uh, if you have one. All right, uh, got a caller on line one, Dave in Cincinnati. Dave, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. I'm uh, I'm just getting started, so doing a lot of driving for dollars and um, coming across uh, across a lot of properties that um, have I, what I think are are serious foundation issues, and I, I never hear that addressed. And I, I wonder, is that something that gives you serious pause whenever you look at at uh, potential deals and and any advice for the, the, the newbie? Well, define serious foundation problem. Uh, well, I, I assume you're in, you're in Cincinnati, right? Yes. So you're just going to see a lot of properties that have foundation problems, period. Because sure. we live on a bunch of hills on clay, and it rains all the time, and then it gets really cold in the wintertime, and 
the water freezes and th- there there is almost no such thing as a house in Cincinnati older than about oh 30 years old that isn't going to have some kind of you know crack in the foundation or you know a little place where it's pushed in somewhere what when you say serious foundation problem what kind of thing have you seen I, I, I mean things where um, let's say that it's a, a brick home where we're, we're seeing shifting in the walls above mm-hmm. the foundation, you know, up, up mm-hmm. in, into the walls above the ground. Right, um, right. Step cracks in the brick. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes going up the, the, the whole first story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that is a bigger problem than a crack on the corner of the basement window that is, you know, a, a, a vertical crack that is just a stress crack in the foundation. Um, typically where I get worried is block foundations when they either have step cracks in them or they have a horizontal crack that you'll see it travel across the whole wall and the wall Mm -hmm. is pushed out into the basement a little bit and, uh, poured foundations with, uh, horizontal, big horizontal cracks and any crack that you is big enough to stick a nickel in sideways is okay. is is the point at which I go okay so now this has a foundation problem now the question though is how concerned do you get about them and the answer is it depends is that property going to be a rental or is that property going to be a retail deal it would be a retail deal that's problematic because even when you quote fix them even when you stabilize the foundation divert the water away which is almost is almost always the problem in Cincinnati is that the water was diverted toward the foundation and it ran down behind and froze and created the crack and pushed the foundation wall in. And and you put in the piers and you fill in the crack with hydraulic, you know, you do everything you can do, it still scares homeowners. So the the, the problem could have been fixed for 20 years and the house is still going to be less sellable than a property that didn't have that problem. So... When I see when I see a problem like we've been talking about here in a house that would normally be a retail property, I write it off as a retail property and say what it's worth. What is it? What is it worth as a rental? Because it won't it won't rent for one dime less with a foundation crack than it will without. So I just sort of reevaluate it and say, all right, this is not a retail resale. This is a rental. Now, what is it worth? Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for your call, Dave. And welcome to Real Estate in Cincinnati because you're going to see a lot of foundation cracks in Cincinnati. That wraps up question and answer week for us this week. We will definitely be back next week, though, with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.